Are you one of them? Simone sat looking at the oddly cryptic message from someone calling herself The Feels. It had been sent to her YouTube inbox during the night. She wouldn't even be checking her messages this early in the day if it hadn't been for the dragonfly that came out of nowhere and woke her from the all-time weirdest dream she'd ever had. As soon as it knew it had her attention, it buzzed across the room to her desk. It happened too fast for her to even get it on camera, but that's how it can be with events that may or may not end up being paranormal which is why the cell cam is pretty much a permanent fixture in her hand. At first she thinks the dragonfly's focus is on the note her foster mother left on top of her laptop, but the dragonfly quickly makes it clear that's not it. As soon as she picks up the note and starts reading the list of chores, it settles right back down on the laptop. Once she boots it up and reads the puzzling message in her inbox, the dragonfly circles her head, then darts to the door and back, hovering just inches from her face. She crosses the room and opens the door, and it buzzes down the hall to her foster sister's room, landing on the doorknob briefly before taking flight again and repeating the same flight maneuvers it had done in her room, only up and down the hall. Simone isn't sure which is more cryptic. The strange message it seemed to be insisting she read, or the dragonfly's odd behavior. Wallace, wake up! You have a visitor! After knocking several times with no response, Simone cracks the door an inch and the dragonfly quickly darts through the narrow gap. It heads straight for the book laying open on Wallace's desk. She glances at it as she follows the dragonfly into the room and watches it land on the open page. One of the things Simone has never understood about her foster sister is how she could choose horror stories like Call of Cthulhu for her bedtime reading when their foster home was far more terrifying than anything some fiction writer could ever come up with, especially at night. Wallace sits up and stares at the exact same dragonfly from the dream it just woke her out of. She glances down at the dream journal on her nightstand and sees the cryptic message she left for herself at some point in the night. Don't run. Have you ever had a dream where you knew someone was in your dream with you, watching you, she says? Simone nods and says she just had one of those last night. She saw herself running from some kind of she-creature while she sat on a bus getting it all on camera through the window, including a tall man who stepped out of the shadows. She says she could see this same dragonfly painted on the side of the bus through her own eyes from a flight of stairs while also watching herself jump down from that flight of stairs from where she sat on the bus. The whole time she knew there was someone else in the dream, watching both versions of her through the eyes of both versions of her. Creepiest dream ever, she says. Not as creepy to Wallace as the distinct sound drifting in through the open window. It's a car coming up the driveway of the old Victorian mansion. 
The list of chores their foster mother left included letting the new tenant into the apartment above the carriage house and showing him around. The tall man steps back into the shadows of the massive rhododendrons lining the driveway as the car passes him. Wallace and Simone cross to the window and look down at the cherry-red vintage Mustang pulling up in front of the house. Did Betty say what the new renter's name is? Wallace asks. Stephen steps out of the car and looks up at the two girls in the window. Neither of them know he's already seen the videos Simone features on her YouTube channel or that he's carefully studied the poetry Wallace keeps on her blog inspired by the paranormal events both girls encounter in the house that's so haunted it's demonically possessed. But the university was more than happy to accept his proposal to write his graduate thesis on the House of Fantods, as long as he fulfills his obligations as teaching assistant in the writing department. He still hasn't decided when, or even if, he'll fill both girls in on his plans. The dragonfly launches from the windowsill out into the open air and returns to the shadows in the rhododendrons. The tall man smiles and nods. The last arrival would be coming up the drive shortly. Everything is going exactly as planned. Are you one of them? It's the same cryptic question from this morning, only this time it isn't in her inbox. It's coming from the girl not much older than she is, standing on the front porch. The same one who was in her dream, sitting in the back of the bus. And Simone has no idea what possessed her to come knock on the door. Marina's hands shake as she pulls down her sunglasses and looks Simone in the eye. Look, I wouldn't be here if this wasn't important. I'm an empath, not a clairvoyant. But someone is contacting me in my dreams. I'm getting the distinct feeling the three of us are in danger, and I have no idea who or what she's talking about. I think you're one of the three. Simone often finds herself wishing the truth were as easy to know by just looking into someone's eyes as it is by filming high strangeness with her cell cam. At this point, all she knows is there's a connection between the dream she just had and this young woman. Define contacting, she says, squinting her eyes. She's still not sure she wants to invite this girl in. Inviting high strangeness into the house of Fantods 
can be a lot like inviting a vampire in. The results can be volatile and often irreversible. But what she's saying about dreams intrigues her for that very same high strangeness, a definite element of the paranormal. And then there's the dragonfly that keeps buzzing them both. She's pretty sure it's the same one from earlier. Its image was in that dream, too, painted on the side of the bus. Even though she blurts out what she's saying like she'd been up all night rehearsing it, Simone senses a certain sincerity to what the strange girl is saying. She claims she first noticed the woman lurking in the background of a dream, but was focusing too much attention on figuring out what the overall message of the dream was to give it much thought, until the woman went from lurking to being the focal point, establishing a persistent presence in her dreams, demanding her attention insisting that she and the others are in danger. At that point, Marina decided to see if she could find one or both of the other girls in the dream, with the hopes that it may have been a shared dream experience and one of them might be a clairaudient dreamer. They're better at this kind of thing, she says. Empaths tend to feel their way through dreams. Clairaudients pick up details we miss especially words that come to them in dreams. And that was the best you could come up with to solve the problem, drag two complete strangers into it. Did it involve throwing darts at a map, or did you consult Miss Cleo? Some backstories are simply unnecessary in order to understand a person's cautious nature, and Simone's is no exception. Marina just shrugs and puts her sunglasses back on. She was determined to say what she'd come to say. There were four of us in the dream. Me, a dude, and two girls. I'm pretty sure you're one of them. You're wearing the same red chucks. And that cell cam in your hand? Dude, I found you on YouTube because of your videos of the weird shit in this house that you keep filming. You mention in your profile that you got your start when your older foster sister, Wallace, gave you a cell phone so you could start getting it on camera because no one ever believed you when you told them what you'd seen. You're a psychic finder who finds paranormal events instead of missing car keys, aren't you? And your foster sister's got a poetry blog about this house, doesn't she? In the dream, the dude said, What's the frequency, Wallace? She went on to say it wasn't that hard to find the house once she put the names and all the other details together with the location, which the woman helped her with. A lot. Dude, she had this list of things, details like the name of the town and the location of the house. It was enough for me to find you. Simone would have begun screaming for Wallace to come quickly by now if it hadn't been for the fact that she'd seen this girl in that dream last night and was already getting the sense that maybe she really is one of them. Is it even possible that the person looking at her through her own eyes in that dream is the same woman Marina is talking about? After all, Marina was in the dream. 
Is she really saying this woman is trying to contact them all using some kind of wireless connection Simone had never considered might actually exist? So basically, you're saying this is how we're getting our invitation to Hogwarts, and you're the owl sent to deliver it, she says, just as Wallace comes around the corner of the house with Stephen and sees the bridesmaid from the dream she just had standing on the porch with Simone. And the same dragonfly from that dream was with them, the one that woke her up this morning. Instinctively, she looks around for the tall man and has a deja vu moment that she's not quite sure is from her waking life or her dream life. None of them are aware yet that this is about to become the new normal for all of them. She hadn't expected him to be so soft-spoken, or as humorously self-deprecating. He was nothing like the Stephen in her dream, except it was him, right down to the soft Oklahoma drawl and those impossibly long eyelashes, that and the silver skull ring on his pinky finger. The prescient nature of her dreams had always been somewhat disorienting, but this was some next-level prescience for Wallace. Even more disorienting was the barrage of questions Stephen was asking about her darkly gothic poetry. He wasn't even remotely interested in seeing where the washer and dryer were in the basement, or that they sat next to an old ringer washer from when the house was built over a hundred years ago. The scripted tour she had routinely given to both overnight guests and long-term renters as she familiarized them with the house and grounds was quickly discarded for the tour the new renter was determined to take of Wallace's creative process. He said he wanted to see the room where she encountered the demon in the wall since the poem about it was what got her the nickname Lady Poe, the Whitman of Goth, on the Internet. All she said is all she ever says about that particular poem. I don't talk about it. Ever. He deftly changes the subject and asks about the poem she posted on her blog last night, saying it sounds like the house had gotten to her and she was planning to run, which, of course, led her to think about the note she left for herself in her dream journal. She was searching for ways to change the subject, as they walked alongside the wraparound porch toward the front of the house, when they turned the corner and the subject changed itself for her. Marina? The strength of Wallace's precognition in dreams had increased gradually over the past few years, but this was precognition and overdrive. Two people she had never seen anywhere but in the dream she had just had walk into her life on the same day. It knocks the wind out of her. 
thoughts of the tall man and this impossible waking dream life crossover deja vu sweep over her as a single word escapes in the confusion. How? Her knees buckle, and as the lawn rises up to meet her head, the dragonfly that ties all of it together circles above. A name comes to her, and she's not sure she's saying it out loud or not until she hears Stephen repeat it. Cassandra? It's his turn to be disoriented. He'd just been reading a Greek mythology blog last night about Cassandra and Apollo's curse on her. Wallace sits up, the air gradually returning to her lungs. She wanted to point out that this was epic, not mythological, but wasn't sure if he'd mentioned his dizzying synchronicity out loud or not. Either way, a whispering thought came to her as her head hit the ground that Cassandra was here with all of them, which qualifies as epic. In the world Wallace and Simone were being introduced to, it seemed oddly fitting that someone with that name would be connected to both her precognitive dreams and her foster sister, especially since no one had believed Simone about her encounters with the paranormal events in the house before she got them on camera, thanks to Wallace. And everything seemed to be tied to the house. Crossing to the side of the porch where Wallace lays, Marina leans over the railing and says Cassandra is the reason she's here. She tells her the same thing she told Simone, that Cassandra keeps saying they're in danger and she wants to help, and that it has something to do with this house, something they need to know about it. Then she points at Stephen. She also says, He's involved. Stephen seems genuinely taken aback. He demands to know who this Cassandra person is and why she would be saying anything about him at all. Wallace glances at the silver skull ring on his little finger again and shrugs. As is more and more often the case, she has no idea how she knows the things she does about someone she's never met in waking life. She just does. Maybe this Cassandra is the same. She replies that she's just someone the three of them have been sharing a wireless connection with. He seems more concerned that he might have to avoid peak data usage hours so he can stream his shows uninterrupted than anything else. Yes and no, Marina says, telling him their wireless is more like Western Union. Wallace quickly explains that their connection is actually more like a virtual private network just for the three of them. And it's the reason I'm not going to run, she says, for now, anyway. Marina corrects her and points out that they may need to be open to the possibility that it's a VPN for four. Simone interrupts her filming to correct both of them, pointing out that if they count Cassandra, it makes five. Isn't there an old song called Western Union by a band from the 1960s that called themselves the Five Americans, Stephen says? Or was it 
five families. For some reason, Wallace seems compelled to say it was five entities, and instantly wonders if Cassandra is all right. Thank mm-hmm. you.